I'm Matthew. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. Now, this is the Major Spoiler Podcast, where we cover news, reviews, and of course, lots of spoilers. And we're going to go into details about some of the topics we discuss. So if you haven't read, listened, watched, or done anything else with these items that we're about to talk about, you might want to come back later. This time around, the TARDIS loses a tenant. Heroes without their head men. Guys who die, guys who don't die, guys who won't die, guys who keep dying and still keep coming back. Plus, three legions, no waiting. Robbie walks again, but where's Prospero? And it's a head-to-head battle of the crazy as the Batman of Zorinar goes head-to-head with the goddamn Batman in a no-holds-barred war of the wacky in the wiki-woo. Let's get ready to rumble! The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air! Hey, welcome back, everybody, to another exciting week of spoiler talk. And other great things that happen here at the Major Spoilers Podcast. Rodrigo, absent this week. Hello, I'm Rodrigo. I'm really here. And he talks like a a really bad, squeaky Italian. It's Rodrigo Smurf. (laughs) Italian Rodrigo Smurf. (laughs) Rodrigo is out uh, doing some big uh, event for PBS tonight, and so he could not be here. But that doesn't mean, ladies, that Matthew and I can't keep you entertained, and men too. That we can't keep you entertained with all of our goofy talk. It, it might mean that we can't, but hopefully it won't. <laughs> all right, some big news uh, going on this week over at the Majorspoilers.com website. Uh, Matthew, you're not a big fan of Heroes, are you? I was a pretty big fan of the first half of Season 1, and then it became Days of Future Past. Mm-hmm. And I kind of went, well, I liked this, and I, 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 I still like it. It's just kind of to the point now where... It, it feels a lot more derivative than the beginning of the series did. Ah. Well, Especially season two, which didn't How do you, how do you feel about Jeff Loeb? He looks like Mr. Magoo. <laughs> well, maybe that's why NBC decided to give him and Jesse Alexander the boot from the Heroes uh, TV series saying, thank you guys, but uh, we're really upset with all the ratings and a bunch of other things. The fact that you're going over your $4 million an episode budget. Sayonara. So long. Later on, you know, the only bad thing is, you know, having Jeff Loeb and Jesse Alexander on really kind of gave the show some geek cred, you know, something that's actually, hey, here's some comic book guys writing about a show that's essentially comic book stuff. And now I'm afraid Mm -hmm. it's just going to turn into the CW. Well, there's there's an an issue that I have with that. Okay, And that issue is uh, the last thing that I the last couple of things that I've read from Jeff Loeb, and I presume it's pronounced Loeb, it may be pronounced Lieber Labor. I'm not sure. Yeah. We're going to say Jeff Loeb. Okay. The last couple of things that I've read from him were Ultimates 3, mm-hmm. which was all sizzle and no steak. I mean, there was really nothing there to grab me. At issue 1 had that big, you know, that kablamicus moment. And, you know, we're the major spoilers, and it was six months ago, where they assassinate <laughs> the Scarlet Witch. Right. And there was, I mean, it just it, it kept chugging and chugging and chugging like the little engines, the little storytelling engine that could, and it never did anything for me. Yeah, never made and it over that hill. The last thing before that that I remember him writing was Onslaught Returns. Mm, yeah, that was a while ago. So it may be one of those things where, and of course, Onslaught Returns brought back both Onslaught and Rob Liefeld, which actually <laughs> would probably, had I reviewed it, I might have gone into negative stars. Yeah. And I'm not even sure if negative star well, negative stars do exist. They're called collapsars or black holes, but <laughs> you don't see a lot of them on major spoilers. And I, Jeff Jeff Loeb doesn't have, to me, 
the kind of geek cred anymore that he might have had five or six years ago after you yeah. know the long Halloween right on the right. right on the tail end of Batman right you know uh, whatever what, it was yeah well maybe this will make you feel a little better what about J Michael Straczynski writing the remake to Forbidden Planet is that a movie that it should even be touched I don't know it, it, it it's one of those movies that I like so much. Kind of like, and this is this is the only time you're ever going to hear anybody say this. I was a fan of Charlton Heston in the Omega Man, so I didn't ever go see Will Smith in I Am Legend. <laughs> right. And I'm kind of looking at this the same way. I mean, well, part I mean, of. I, I mean, I feel the same way. This is this is a classic movie. It's one of the very first sci-fi, real sci-fi movies that really dived into some really cool special effects and featured yeah. Robbie the robot and and Leslie Nielsen walking around yeah. as the uh, as the suave debonair uh, guy picking up all the chicks uh, and the crazy flying saucers and the monsters from the id. All these great things, which is simply a retelling of Shakespeare. But I don't know if 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 it should be remade. Now they're remaking. The Day the Earth Stood Still, and that's another sci-fi classic of mine that I just love to watch. But I don't think I'm going to see Keanu Reeves in, in the remake of that. Quatu Barada Nikto, dude. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I am, things are I am Quatu S. Preston, Esquire. <laughs> Party on, dudes! So, so no, you don't think you'll be seeing this remake? I'll probably see it. I have all the cable channels for, like, dirt cheap because I haven't go. changed my cable plan in 15 years. But I don't know. If I saw it, if I went to see it, I would want to see – I'd want to see Robbie. Yeah. I'd want to see an, an overt reference to the fact that there was an earlier film. And that's you know kind what? Of- my, my guess is you're not going to see that original, original Robbie. They'll probably do the same thing like they did with uh, um, Lost in Space and Update – the the robot and make oh. it more like a battle droid or something like that. See, that was ridiculous. Yeah, not a big fan that was, of that. That was terrible. I I think Straczynski has the chops to pull it off, especially you know. I mean, he did honestly, the whole Babylon Five stuff. Well, yeah, and if you love Babylon Five, that'll probably be a good thing. If you hate Babylon Five, you're gonna be like, oh. But <laughs> Forbidden Planet is one of those movies that has a lot more. And a, a more mystique about it than the actual movie really kind of um, deserves. I don't want to say deserves because it does right. deserve the mystique, but it's one of those movies that you talk about it and you you, get, you enthuse about it, and then you go watch it again. And you're like, "Wow, this was made in 1956." Well, and that's what's kind of the the charm of it. Yeah, I can see that. I I think is if they can keep it to where they do what that movie did in its time 50 years ago where they're taking it and they're taking it seriously oh i just hang on my keyboard <laughs> fell off the top of my computer but Matthew, the matthew's been coming. drinking a little bit too much tonight on the major spoilers <laughs> pre-show it's the orange monster man <laughs> orange monster the uh, controllers gave me some orange monster but that's a rage of the Re- red lanterns reference for those <laughs> Hey, uh, but it- <laughs> <laughs> did you have something else you wanted to say about that? Speaking of repeatedly vomiting, <laughs> let's talk Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, now there's a question, Matthew, and it's something you and I were working on back and forth. You and I were sending emails. I had this idea that maybe we should talk about some of the great immortal characters, people that no matter how many times you try to kill them, they just won't die. And so I was thinking television, movies, 
comic books especially. And you and I kind of back and forth came up with a list with some maybe some obscure characters. I like that the top five uh, characters that we have all have immortal in their name at some point. Right. Um, but we posted the top ten immortals up on the Major Spoilers website, and I tried to be as eclectic as I as I could, and you and I went back and forth on who should be on there, who sh- shouldn't be on there. At number ten, we had Wolverine, which, is he really immortal? Should See, he have been on the list? I put him on the list because if you didn't put Wolverine on the list, everybody would have had a fit. Why can Wolverine isn't on the list? He's like, you can't kill the guy. Why are you talking like Herbert from Family? Hey, Chris. I got a Wolverine comic over here in my pocket. Anyway. I'm just imitating um, one of the people that I ran into at a comic book store this past weekend. You Okay, I don't even want to know. Okay. Well, it, the thing, there's a difficulty when it comes to immortality because immortality is kind of completely counter to the nature of many characters. Right. So... Essentially, immortality is going to mean either one of two things. Either you have a prolonged adulthood to where you know you you you, live, you you're born as a child, like say Wolverine. Right. He was 18, 20 years and he was mature and now for like 85 years he's been an adult. Right. But if there's also the question of is Wolverine actually James Howlett? Because we have seen every scrap of his body completely annihilated. Oh yeah, he still had keeps it coming back. Regenerated. Right. So, so technically, I mean, it may not actually be him. It's one of those is it live or is it Memorex things where the only thing that's really the same about Wolverine from incarnation to incarnation, and to some degree from writer to writer, is you know just the the mental. I'm the best there is at what I do and what right. I do it pretty. Right. You know what I mean. Well, we had a pretty good list. You can check it out up at the Majorspoilers.com website. But, you know, after we did this, I knew we were never going to be able to cover everybody's favorite immortal. So we might consider this our 2008 best immortal list because there are some other ones that I'm like, you know what? We should have put those on there. Madam Xanadu probably yep. should have been on the list. Uh, Christian, uh, Walker. Christian Walker from over at Power should have been on that list. The um, Phantom Stranger. Phantom Stranger. Lazarus Long. Uh, Claire Bennett from Heroes, since we were, we were just talking about Heroes, I'm I'm not sure about her. She seems like she could be someone that could live forever with her healing factor. And but some, if you stick something in her brain, she'll die. Yeah, that's true. What about Superman? People have asked about Superman. How come Superman's not on the list? He co- pops up a couple of times, and uh, people say, oh, well, we know Superman's going to live forever. But is he really? Is he really? I don't think he is. I, I think part of the Superman mythos is that... He is super, but he's also a man, and he does everything. He, he's he's like your dad when you were a kid. It seems like he does everything better than you. Whatever it is, he's better at it, and he may live a, a excuse me. He may live a very, very, very long time. But Superman has to have that capacity of oh my god, Doomsday just punched him in the face. Is he dead? Yeah. There has to be an element of danger because it being as strong as he is, if he was also essentially immortal. Mm-hmm. It'd be that much more difficult to try and actually sell, you know, a concept of, you know, hey, this guy is going on. And in, in one that I'm right. afraid that that I f- I really am annoyed that we forgot. Wowbagger the infinitely prolonged <laughs> from the Hitchhiker's Guide yeah, to the Galaxy. That's true. And somebody pointed out, you know, we put number two, the Immortal Man, Resurrection Man, which appear to be the same characters, especially after what happened with uh, the recent issue of Supergirl where she was trying to save this kid's life. Someone pointed out and they actually contacted the person who created the Resurrection Man in, 
in the Supergirl comics, if our res run had continued, if our res man run had continued, uh, Andy and I were planning on doing a huge story that showed that while Mitch wasn't the I.M., the immortal man, the two of them were eternally tied in their destinies. Now, other writers have taken up the baton. It's not really our place to send any more. If they say that he is or might be the uh, immortal man, then so be it. And that's from mm-hmm. Dan, Dan Abnet. Dan Abnet, yes. Yeah. Cool. So check that out. And if you have your favorite person that's an immortal that didn't appear on the list, then by all means, shout it out there. Maybe that person will appear on next year's list of the immortals. The number one on our list, of course, being the Time Lord Doctor Who. And the reason why he made the list, even though he does have a finite lifespan, he's only got those, what, 13 lives that he Mm -hmm. can uh, live through. With his Mm -hmm. time-traveling box, he can go to the beginning of time or end of time. So he can be everywhere and at any time and, and essentially be immortal to some people. But speaking of <laughs> Doctor Who, mm-hmm. David Tennant is stepping down after three seasons as as the uh, current Doctor, the Tenth Doctor. I'm, Thoughts on that? I'm of mixed emotions about it, for, for two reasons, actually. Okay. Um, very few actors have done the character for more than about three or four years. Right. With the exception uh, the run of uh, Tom Baker, Tom Baker, Doctor Number Four, who did it for I believe seven, right? And but I think there's an element of of, of change to Doctor Who that is who that is necessary to keep the series fresh. And David Tennant is fabulous, and I liked his season, liked his season. But part of the reason that Doctor Who is having such a strange, such a strange, they're, they're doing a new season right now. They're doing four, I think it's four yeah, two-hour movies. Yeah. Because David Tennant has other jobs that he wants to go do. He wants to work with the Royal Shakespeare Company. He wants to go off and do, you know, the the theater. And if you know, if the actor wants to go somewhere else. I don't really feel like they should hold up the role because he's very good at being the doctor. I mean, he is very good. And part of part of he's very good we'll get to in a minute that I want to go over, but okay. He's he's not, I mean, he's not he's not the only person who could ever or should ever play the doctor and I'd like to see he or or Ava is really ready to do other do other things. I'd rather see more Doctor Who with a different Doctor from Doctor than less Doctor Who with David Tennant. No matter Tennant, no matter his. Okay, hold on just a Does second, Matthew. Sense? Well, yeah, but with our crazy Skype connection, oh boy, it sounds pretty crazy. Hold on just a second. Let me call but you right. Let me call you right back again. I, you know, I can totally understand uh, Tennant's reasons for leaving. I mean. The problem with actors staying in a role too long is they could easily be typecast, and that's something people probably don't want to fall into. Someone, especially as someone as talented as as David Tennant, uh, he will be missed. Now, who will play the uh, next Doctor? No one knows. Someone had mentioned a female. Uh, I happen to uh, catch something up on the BBC website that uh, the next Doctor may be a uh, uh, um, um, African American who's not really American, but an African Englishman. Does that make go. sense? I had seen that as well, and I'm actually kind of excited because that particular actor mm-hmm. is one who I'm passing familiar with, and the stuff that I've seen him in before, I really kind of like him. The, the well, and if you look at the character, yes, if you look at the thirty or forty, well, I guess nineteen sixty-three to now, so forty-five years off yeah. and on, the, it, he does have some pretty dramatic changes from one incarnation to the next, and some pretty oh, dramatic. Yeah. 
he goes from being five five seven to being six foot four. Yeah. To being from so looking you know from looking like Christopher Eccleston like a taxi with both doors hanging open to being you know the the skinny little cute boy that David Tennant is and it's you know I'd like to see that and I, I I'd like to see them do it without even mentioning it. Yes. Just yes. I mean there it is the doctor's now African. African American. I don't know what you know. I would say, if it's not offensive, I would say black. Yes. Okay. We'll go with but that. That'll work. But I mean, I'd like to see that, and I'd like to see him just, you know, do it. Granted, yeah. there's probably going to be a whole lot of uh, hype I, about it in our media, but I right. don't think that the stories that the show should make any real reference to it. No, I don't think it will either. And I think for the most part, people will just blink and miss it. Which kind of brings us to uh, something that you and I probably have a fond recollection of is the Doctor. And mm-hmm. all the different incarnations of the Doctor. So why don't Correct. we talk it's about our big major spo- spoilers poll of the week? The poll of the week, 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 week. poll, 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 poll of the week. This week we decided to stick with our theme of going from Immortals to the number one Immortal, because uh, hey, what else are we going to do? Yeah. And talk about the ten incarnations of the Doctor. If you want to refer to it as the ten people who've embodied the Doctor, or just the ten different versions thereof. We're going to go do down them. We can do it. We're going to go down them in, in, in numerical order. Okay. From the first doctor to the, to the most recent doctor. Precisely. Okay. The first doctor, William Hartnell, who I believe was doctor from 1963 to about 1966 or okay. so. All right. Three seasons. Right. The second doctor, uh, Patrick Troughton or Troughton. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. He's the guy um, with the little black mop top. Right. From about 66 to 69. Uh, from 1969 to roughly, I want to say 1973, John Pertwee, who was the tall guy in the velvet smoking jacket. Yes, the dandy. Exactly. He had a tendency to karate chop people. <laughs> and then for the next seven years, we had Tom Baker, uh, who was described in an episode by the third doctor as all teeth and curls. Yes, I and, love and jelly one. babies. Exactly. Uh, the one that most people are most familiar with, with the long scarf. Right. He was succeeded by uh, Peter Davison. Who was celery the, stick? Exactly the fifth doctor in the beige outfit, the the kind of the pretty blonde the, one. The, this was the what, what would you describe that outfit? That was the uh, cricket cricket outfit. Was that? It what was it the was? cricketer the cricketer's outfit with that cool uh, overcoat that I wanted so bad when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. And from a cool coat to an ungodly coat, the sixth doctor, Colin Baker, uh, who is pretty widely reveled as the man who killed the franchise, Doctor Who, actually went into. Uh, it was put on hiatus for almost a year and a half and then was essentially almost canceled under him. Mm. The sixth doctor was replaced by Sylvester McCoy, the seventh doctor, who was the man in the little pork pie hat like uh, like Kolchak with the uh, question mark cane. Oh, right, right. He did about three years and then the series went on hiatus and then came back in 1996 for an American movie called Doctor Who, uh, with Paul McGann. Yeah, I'm really surprised that they count him as, as one of the Doctors and one of the Incarnations, because that was a... He was not- an official Doctor, though, because we saw Sylvester McCoy regenerate Oh, yeah, from, that's true. At the beginning of that movie, Sylvester McCoy regenerated into the Eighth Doctor. That is we, true. We never saw anything after that officially from the Eighth Doctor, and then the series uh, relaunched, I believe, in 2004 with Christopher Eccleston. Mm-hmm who has been confirmed as the ninth Doctor, the Doctor who regenerated from the eighth, uh, who was the, the buzz-cut gentleman who hung out with that incredibly hot girl, Rose. Rose, yeah. And then, of course, the tenth Doctor, the current incarnation, David Tennant, who is my second favorite Doctor of all time right now. Really? But 
Mm-hmm. You know, when did you when did you have you watched all of the uh, Doctor Who episodes? Have you seen a majority of these? I have. Well, it depends on how you define a majority, because you have to realize that. Okay, if you have seen if you've seen all the Tom Baker episodes, that counts as a majority. No, I'm saying, have you seen episodes of all of the Doctors? To some degree, yes. Most of the episodes of the first and second, and a big chunk of the third Doctor's adventures were actually destroyed by the BBC. Right, they taped over Uh, them, or they were lost. They taped over and recycled the Mm -hmm. videotape, and. Mm -hmm. They're trying occasionally, you know, they'll have one turn up somewhere, and here's a lost episode of Doctor Who. So mm-hmm. I've seen some of the remastered lost episodes of the first and second Doctors. Um, when I, when we were young in the eighties, they ran KCP they ran TV. episodes of the third, fourth, mm-hmm. and fifth Doctor mm-hmm. on PBS in America. Yep. And they always say that the first Doctor that you become, you know, that you really watch is mm-hmm. usually your favorite. Yes, and so for most of us. That yeah, would be so, Tom Baker. Right. So is that who but, your favorite is? That is incorrect. Incorrect. Okay. Who my, is your favorite? My first episode of Doctor Who was an episode called Frontios mm-hmm. with the fifth Doctor. Oh. In the cricketer's outfit. And yeah, I watched the, the entirety of that fifth Doctor's run. And then they went back and did a season of Tom Baker. And then they ran that entire fifth Doctor run again. Hmm. And I really got into that character. I really kind of liked what they were doing with him because they were trying to get away from some of the, I don't want to say cliches, but some of the shorthand that the seven years of the fourth Doctor had created for right. the character. Right. They brought it to you know pretty much the most success the, the show had ever seen, and they were trying to rebuild it. And I really like those weird, awkward rebuilding periods of things where mm-hmm. they're trying to give you something new. Yeah. So my favorite is the fifth Doctor, and the reason that I like the tenth is that he is so highly influenced by the fifth. David Tennant has gone on record as saying that the fifth Doctor is also his favorite incarnation as well. Yeah. Well, you know, I've just recently started watching uh, David Tennant's Doctor Who on the BBC America. Uh, And, you know, I'm kind of hooked on it. And, of course, next week we see the next season of Doctor Who or this weekend, depending on when you're listening to this, or it could have been five years ago, depending on when you're (laughs) listening to this. Hello, future people. Uh, But, you know, I started watching Doctor Who with Tom Baker and then transitioned into the Peter Davison uh, before uh, KCP-TV, the public television station out of Kansas City, started from the beginning and ran the very first Doctor Who all the way through again until the end of the Davison run. And I think I got to see maybe the first two episodes of the Colin Baker one before I went to college or got fed up with Doctor Who or whatever it was. Right. But honestly, I love the the I don't know the the charm that the first doctor has, William Hartnell. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're trying to tell these great stories on a crap budget. <laughs> and the fact that it's this old guy who's just kind of a, a, a miserly old man that doesn't want to be bothered. He's got this uh this little girl that runs around with him who's his his niece or he claims as his niece. His, She's his also granddaughter. His granddaughter, also um, a Time Lord, and just the adventures that they go on. I mean, this is the first time the first time I ever saw a Dalek. You know, I'm looking at it and going, that's the toilet plunger I have upstairs. How awesome is that? <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, how freaky are the Daleks? How freaky are the Cybermen? You know, and I just, for me, the one that I picked was William Hartnell, the first Doctor, with Tom Baker coming in at number two and David mm-hmm. Tennant coming in at number three. And then Peter Davison, and then probably, you know, I was not a, not a big fan of John Pertwee. Um, I liked his work. I, I liked him better than, than uh, this is probably going to get me marked as a heretic. I liked him better than Tom Baker in yeah. some ways. 
Well, people, you can head over to the Major Spoilers website. I know we've kind of rattled on about this a little long. That's all right. It's what we do. But uh, currently, right now, we have 152 votes in. And uh, leading the categories, David Tennant, number two, Tom Baker, number three, uh, Christopher Eccleston, uh, Peter Davison, John Petrie, I call him Petrie, Pertwee, uh, Sylvester McCoy, Patrick uh, Troughton, Troughton, Troughton. uh, Paul McGann, Colin Baker, and then my favorite, William Hartnell, down at the bottom. Uh, Well, and you notice that that there's always a bias towards the incumbent doctor. Right. And I figured there would be. the last guy, with the exception of, you know, poor Paul McGann, who kind of got hosed. (laughs) Yeah. But... The, the last guy, and then you'll kind of see it actually shake down. And I think it's it's nice to see the fifth Doctor who, and th- this is going to show that I'm a total geek, for years <laughs> in, in in Who fandom, the, the Whovians, or whomever they refer to themselves as I am, I am always an outsider going, ha ha! But <laughs> there was kind of a feeling in fandom that the fifth Doctor was really kind of bland and dull and boring after, you know, yeah. Tom Baker being, <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? He had... And I forget her name, but he had the hottest assistant of all of the doctors that I had seen. His, I forget what her name. Well, I don't remember if she was or not, but uh, man, she was she was a hottie. Was either Leela or Romana? That's Romana was was the one with the hat. No, I think it's Leela. Leela had the little leather bikini thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who. Man, she was hot. (laughs) Man. uh, I still, you know, I was digging through a bunch of VHS tapes the other day, and I was like, what the heck's on this tape? Popped it in, and it was the um, Tom Baker run of the uh, the one where he had to go and find all the different keys. It was the, the 12th time. Yeah, the yeah, keys like, to time, the 12th episode. Yeah, the 12th episode uh, arc. Man, I sat down and watched parts of that again, and I was like, oh, how awesome is that? I love the way they were able to do, you know, the longer arcs. And, of yeah. course, it was, was British television, so things are weird there anyway. <laughs> but they were able to do longer arcs than you'd really see on most American shows. And you'd, you'd have four hour-long episodes on one story. Right, or right. Or six or eight or, God help you, 25. Yeah. yeah. The Daleks' master plan, and most of it's been destroyed, I think, but the Daleks' master plan was apparently 25 hour-long Wow pieces just interlocking and changing and i that would have been awesome to see i know and it's stuff like that that actually kind of makes you you know buy into the endless legions of fans who are like yes this is awesome hey speaking of fans we had another we had another poll going on all this week where you the listener and the readers over at majorspoilers.com could vote on the major spoilers second annual Halloween costume contest where we had a plethora of people send in their entries and we narrowed it down to seven and let you vote. And as of today, check this out, Matthew, we mm. had a tie. A tie? I, just, I really thought there would be one person who would beat somebody else out just by a vote. And how ironic would that be today of all days, November 4th, 2008, to have a tie and have to decide it by one vote or by a flip of a coin or whatever. So the two are Bizarro and the Two-Face one. Exactly. Right. Each of them had 418 votes. I think there were some dangling chads. Oh, well, if there were, they weren't in any of the pictures that I saw. <laughs> I don't know. Poison Ivy's chads were out there. <laughs> I'm so the only way Matthew and I could really decide... Who should win this contest? And this is going to be really bad because, you know, my favorite is one of the one of the tied uh, people. Uh, the only way we could do this is the Harvey Dent method where we have a flip of a coin. And we're going to go with heads being Bizarro, okay? And tails will be Harvey Dent. 
Okay. Two Face. All right, are we ready for this, Matthew? We are How, ready, and I am uh, ready to witness. You call it in the air. Three, two, right. one, flip. T- tails. It is heads. Congratulations, Mark Bizarro. Mir. Bizarro. winner of the 2008 Major Spoilers Costume Contest. I think you did a wonderful job. You were my pick uh, for everything. Uh, Mark, if you would, I think I have your address, but please send me your address again, and I will send you the Hellboy animated um, uh, statue, maquette, as well as the Hellboy Library uh, Edition Volume 1. So cool stuff there. Woohoo! Oh boy, Matthew, you know, we got another theme song in this week that is actually really good. I thought the one that we got from uh, James over at the Nobody's Listening podcast would be our winner, but now we got another one that's out there. Oh, really? You heard it before the show. What did you think of it? I thought it was pretty awesome, actually. I liked I liked what it did. I liked the simplicity of it, and I really liked the fact that it was one of those moments where you're just like, hey, wait a minute, I know what they're doing here. Right. right. I see what you did there. And it was actually good. So, you know, there is a little bit of a competition going on. If you would like to compose a theme for the Major Spoilers podcast, something that we can run at the beginning instead of always that little woo, 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 which, which I know some of you really like. Whatever. Um, if you would like to enter, all you have to do is send us an email to uh, podcast at majorspoilers.com and include the theme song. Uh, you have until November 27th to get that in. And on or around Thanksgiving during our big uh, next break that we have coming up, uh, we will choose a new Major Spoilers theme song. And that winner will get the Absolute Edition of the Watchmen Collection when it comes out in late November. Sounds like a pretty good deal. That that Watchmen uh, Absolute Edition looks beautiful. It does. You know, Stephen. Yes, Matthew. I have an entry this week. Oh, you do? What are you going to dazzle do. us with this time? I have an entry song. Okay. And it's 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 going to be good. I think it's going to work. Only although I only remember about the first six to ten bars of the song. Okay. Alrighty. All right. Do 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 do. People, let me tell you about my major spoilers. Better spoilers. Better major. Something. Major spoilers. I I think our listeners can do better than that, Matthew. Well, I'm sure a lot of people could. Hey, we do four year old. <laughs> My daughter has a toy saxophone. I'm sure she could do better than that. Do you smell smoke? No, I do not. The you keyboard n- fell off my computer, and now I'm starting to wonder if it's on fire. Hang Uh-oh. on. No, I'm, I'm good. All right. We do not have Rodrigo here this week, which is a shame. Uh, we would normally uh, spend some time, each of us, reviewing a, a, an issue that we've read this week. But Matthew and I are such big Legion of Superhero fans. Both of us have our own Legion era that we love the most. So we thought we'd take a few minutes or a couple of minutes here, maybe 10, 15 minutes, uh, maybe less, maybe more, to talk about the second installment of Legion of Three Worlds by Jeff Johns, George Perez, and uh, Scott Koblish. Part of this Final Crisis tie-in, which is not really a Final Crisis tie-in, to be honest with you. I think it may be. I think there's probably more going on here than we know about. All I know is I haven't seen uh, 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 a destruction of continuity. I haven't seen uh, crazy, wacky uh, new gods running around. So it's not a Final Crisis tie-in as far as I'm concerned. What DC is doing is they're slapping Final Crisis on a lot of these these, uh, uh, issues, giving them a glossy cover instead of a regular cover, and then charging you four bucks for them. But that's well, a different topic right there. But Crisis uh, Legion of, of Three Worlds. Last Le- time we had uh, Superboy Prime 
uh, or right. Prime, as they're calling him, I guess. I don't know how the situation of the lawsuit is. They use they use the word they use the name Superboy in Excellent. this issue. Excellent. So maybe they've got everything worked out, and the Seagulls and the Schusters are getting their fair share of the of the profits. He teamed up with the Society of Supervillains, and he was going to go lay the smackdown on the Legion of Superheroes. Now, in the last issue, it was the Legion of Matthews era, the fifties and sixties era Legion. Right, the original Legion. Yes. The this Legion issue, started it all. This issue starts out with a quest to find, um, what's her name, Misa? Misa the White Witch. The White Witch, and she's being held by Mordrew. And, of course, who comes to her rescue but uh, Matthew's favorite character of all time, Block. Block. Are they and are it, they love interests? Are they married? They are not. There was always a very careful flirtation between the characters. And if you read, I believe, Tales of the Legion of Superheroes 3, 15, 16, and 17... There's uh, a, a real subtle kind of courtship going on between them that never actually turns into a courtship. Oh, okay. But they are very close friends. They always spent time together. There was one moment where, I believe in the Volume 4 Legion, you see Block kind of walking up to her looking extremely bashful and acting like he's going to ask her out. Mm-hmm. And she kind of in, unintentionally accidentally shoots him down. But oh, I see. Well, I just moment, wondered, I just wondered because there's this one little tiny panel where yeah. after they free her, she's got her arms around him and she says, it's you, my rock. And I was like, okay, maybe they are, they are married. But before she gets rescued, she has this kind of a flash to the other legions, the current legion that's going on, the WKRP legion, and then the, uh, the evil legion. Now, are these evil legion people that Superboy has teamed up with or Superboy Prime, are mm-hmm. those the ones from an anti, are they from Earth 3 or are they from something else? Because the, uh, the three people that founded the Evil Legion right. seem to be the ones that were in that Batman-Superman run not too long ago. See, that's where it gets complicated and annoying. Okay. Um, Saturn, Saturn Queen, Cosmic King, and Lightning Lord actually uh, initially appeared as part of the future of the future in an issue of, uh, I believe, Superman, where the, the adult Legion, meaning 10 or 15 years after the, the Kid Legion stories that we had been seeing, right. teamed up with Superman. Mm-hmm. So those characters actually came from the future. Lightning Lord was eventually revealed to be Lightning Lad's older brother. Oh, right, and who we've seen in some of these other recent uh, retellings. Right, and Cosmic Queen, or excuse me, Cosmic Queen, Saturn Queen, uh, Eve Ares actually turned out to not nearly not be nearly as bad as we thought she was, and she eventually went straight and married Matter Eater Lad at one point. Ah, okay. From what I can tell, this series picks up somewhere in the middle of Volume 3 of the Legion of Superheroes, so everything after that point, after about 1988, didn't happen to these characters. Well, but uh, everything, everything that happened from Lightning in a Bottle Saga, or the one that we just had not too long ago in the pages of Action Comics and Superman... Uh, and JLA or JSA or whatever it was, that's all in continuity now. Right. And did Jeff Johns write Superman, Batman in the beginning? I, uh, I would have to go do a, a quick uh, comic book database search. Uh, like I he... do not know. I do not know if he did or not. But go ahead and continue on. I guess uh, as uh, one of us is looking this up, you right. know, one of the things they, they help free her and they realize that she's a cap. Uh, she's been captured by Mordrew, who right. happens to be. Well, we we actually get to see another villain pop up as as misa is looking into the future the time trapper throws out his his cockroach ridden hand and says do not look into the future do not pull away the curtain but then you know go ahead go ahead 
The the thing about Misa looking into the future is actually a little piece of really old Legion continuity. Misa is the baby sister of Dream Girl from the planet Naltor. Right. All Naltorians have the ability to see the future. Misa's never really quite gelled for her, which is ah. why she went to learn magic in the first place. Ah. So having her be able to see the future for a second and then have it taken away is one of those little continuity touches that only real geeks like myself ever catch. So, <laughs> well, I thought it was just a really cool touch that you know he's at the end of time and trying to manipulate stuff and says right. no and reaches through. But you know, Mordru is an even worse character, and some people may not know who Mordru is. Mordru is the all-powerful Lord of Lightning Magic thingy. Mordru is the uh, was pretty much the ultimate big bad of uh, Jim Shooter's original run on Adventure Comics back in the sixties. There was an episode where Superboy and Monel were actually forced to run away into the time stream because they were afraid of Mordru. Ah, okay. That's that's how bad this guy is. He gave Tom Wellen the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> but uh, there's a really interesting and moment. He's a sorcerer, um, though, right? I mean, he's yeah. he's got all the magic. So he and Misa are, you know, kind of in the same grouping. Well, and to some degree, Mordru has always kind of been portrayed as the reason why there isn't much magic in the 30th century. He kind of gathered all of the magic sort of to himself. And later we find a whole world of sorcerers who are, you know, designed to take him down. But with power like Mordru's, even, you know, four legionnaires, Wildfire, Dawnstar, Block, and the White Witch, aren't going to be much. So they brought a little backup. And they brought the Rond last... Vidar, now the is, last that's, Now, is he in, has he appeared in a legion before? Is this something new? Because I don't ever remember seeing this Green Lantern before. So you don't read the hero history? No, I don't get to all of them, Matthew. I know there are awesome things up on the Majorspoilers.com website, but sometimes I miss out on some of these characters that I don't remember too well. About three weeks ago, we went over Rond Vidar. Von, oh, okay. Rond Vidar is the son of Universo, okay. who's another villain. Um, Universo was the Green Lantern of Sector 2814 in the 30th century. Mm -hmm. Because of his treachery, the United Planets told the Guardians to keep the Green Lanterns out of the UP, right. which is why the, the explanation for why we never see Green Lanterns interacting with the Legion. When he lost his ring, the Guardians secretly gave it to his son, Rond. Rond worked with Brainiac 5 and was essentially Brainy's best friend for years before he was revealed to actually have the Green Lantern ring. So he actually appeared in the classic Legion both as Rond Vidar for years and a couple of times as the last Green Lantern. Ah, so see, that makes sense. I thought so. Yeah. And so that's that's actually kind of neat then to see him appear and, and kind of give this explanation of being the last Green Lantern out there, or maybe perhaps one of the last Green Lanterns. It looks as though this uh, quintet is going to defeat Mordru until Superboy shows up with his whole team of, of big baddie bads. Yeah, the entire original Legion of Supervillains, most of the second and third incarnation of the Legion of Supervillains, the entire League of Super Assassins, the Fatal Five, yes, the Justice League of Earth. Yes, who we saw just recently in Action Comics, right? Yep. Grimbor okay. the Chainsman, Black Mace of the Taurus Gang. I mean, it's a two-page spread of virtually every single nasty bad freak. And this is really great because, you know, this issue is written by George Perez, who is famous in his crises, DC's crises, especially Crisis on Infinite Earths, of drawing every single character there ever was on a page. 
Yep. And something of note for those of you who actually read the hero histories. <laughs> I, um, I read if, most of them. A few weeks ago, we did one on uh, the five-year gap legionnaires, right. those who were revealed to have been legionnaires during the five-year gap. Since the five-year gap officially didn't happen, mm -hmm. several of the members of the Legion of Supervillains actually are characters who became legionnaires in that alternate five-year gap reality. Ah, cool. Uh, notably Stormboy and Spider-Girl, and if you look, Echo appears as well. Echo, Mike for Aster of Kundish Aisha. I've just shown my ultimate geek cred. Please stand back. <laughs> well, we do get, as they as they battle and as uh, the last Green Lantern shields everybody, we jump over to a metropolis where our current Superman is talking with his Legion, and they're mm -hmm. discussing gathering all of the Legionnaires uh, with them. And we see some of the, and here, again, I'm paying attention to hero histories, we see mm -hmm. some of the uh, Legion of Backup heroes. Right. We see uh, Polar Boy, Substitute Boy, the, uh, what's the uh, black-haired uh, chick? Night girl. Night girl. Now, both of whom were actually given official Legion membership. Right. By the time of the Action Comics Legion. Right. Uh, Polar Boy was actually the Legion's leader during before that. the end of it. Right. What, wasn't he the leader during the five year gap, though? He was the leader uh, directly before the five year gap. He was okay. either the last or the second to last leader before they did the gap. Most impressively, there's a couple of moments when the Legion is talking where Cosmic Boy literally finally goes off. And Cosmic Boy has always been the straight-laced kind of, I'm going to be calm leader. And he gets right. up in Lightning Lad's face. Right, because Lightning Lad, and this is really great about seeing all these heroes all grown up, is that they're not the happy-go-lucky characters that they once were. They are realistic. And, and here, to hear Lightning Lad just fly off with the curse words and say, yeah. why is this all happening, blah, 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 blah. And then uh, Lightning Lad just step in and say, hey, I've been doing this all for you. That's the reason right. I'm the leader. You know, I'm the one making the sacrifices so that you guys can have lives and do all the things that you want. It's it's a really good leader moment for a, for a cosmic, cosmic Boy. Very tellingly, when Cosmic Boy explains how his relationships are gone, you see Night Girl in the background. Yeah. And if you read the, uh, you know, the hero history of the Legion of Substitute Heroes two weeks ago, Night Girl and Cosmic Boy were a big item and ended up eventually seemingly married. Of course, again, the five-year gap stories didn't happen. Darn. But... Yeah, I know. This is gonna be this is gonna be fun going forward because the hero <laughs> histories are gonna be filled with moments where I go, okay, this never happened, but we're gonna go over it anyway. Yeah. Well, and, is, and so Misa is able to open up a little portal to teleport uh, everyone but the last Green Lantern back to Earth, right. and, and Green Lantern is making the ultimate sacrifice again, trying to right. go after all of these characters, all these villains. Ultimately, though, uh, what is her name? Uh, Saturn Queen. Mm-hmm. She ultimately gets inside his head and freaks his mind out to death, and uh, Superboy tries to take his ring. There's some, you know, you don't really see it in panel how he kills him. All you hear is this great, you know, Superboy rising him up to the sky, raising him up to the sky, somehow indicating that he's going to kill him, rip his arm off or something, and yet he falls to earth with his arms and legs and everything intact with the Green Lantern ring on there. And who is this? Pirate? Pirate Man? <laughs> that's that's his father, Universo. Okay, Universo says, I'm going to take the ring, something that should be mine. And the ring flies off to apparently go find a new Green Lantern, but there's no one worthy, which is odd. Is this something that was addressed in, in future 
future Legion of why there would be no one worthy to take the ring and why the ring would go back to Oa? Yes and no. Bearing in mind that the whole ring scanning the galaxy under Mogo's control is new, and bearing in mind that the explanation of how Ron Vidar became Green Lantern was never actually shown, but was only addressed after the Crisis on Infinite Earths in a story that, again, now technically never happened. <laughs> um, I think it's taking into account, uh, for some reason, he's not just the last Green Lantern. He is literally the last person who has a ring anywhere in the universe. Right. It's not just the Guardians aren't in the United Planets. It's the Guardians are gone completely. And I think he snaps his neck, because if you look very yeah, close, what, he grabs yeah, his throat. That's, what, that's kind of the implication I got, too. But why the ring, which isn't completely drained... Why the ring didn't protect him is a little little strange. But again, it's Superboy Prime, and he has. The it's power a pre-crisis of the Kryptonian. They fly through suns to clean their capes. Yeah, that's true too. Uh, sadly, though, everyone back in in Legion headquarters realizes that uh, Rond is gone. Right, and they know that there is no wake because not all of the Legion that they expect to have gathered can they gather. They're short quite a few people, and knowing right. how big. Superboy's army is, or anti-Legion, or Legion of Supervillains, or whatever you want to call it, how big right. it is, they need to come up with a plan, and this is the moment where we see the lightning rod emerge, <laughs> something we haven't seen in almost two years now, Right. and this great line where Brainy outlines the plan, and then who is that? What, um, Invisible Kid. Is that who that is? And he says, yep. and then what? And then Brainy says... We show the entire universe how smart I really am. And, you know, as egotistical as, as Brainiac 5 is, I am just get shivers just thinking about, you know, I've been planning this all along, MFers, and now I'm going <laughs> to show everybody why you should bow down to me. Yeah. But first, I need you to send, all, send you all off on different tasks. So right. he sends uh, some of them off to Oa. Superman and some of the more powerful Legionnaires, he has them go fight... Uh, the Legion of Supervillains, while others are at the old JLA headquarters on Earth. In Happy in, Harbor. In Happy Harbor. And they are going to try to do something with a... And this, again, is something that I wasn't familiar with, some kind of crystal ball that has the shards of the infinite universes in them. If you recall, he said, pulling on his lapels and going into comic book <laughs> professor mode... <laughs> You may recall a comic book called Justice League of America from the late 60s? Yes. Roughly, I want to say issue 35 or 36 of Justice League of America had a story called Crisis on Earth 1, or Crisis on Earth 2, or possibly right. Crisis on Flying Monkeys. Right. In any case, in now, that is, story... Is this the they, one where it's the crystal ball that brings Earth 1 and Earth 2 people together? Exactly. You okay. may have seen the cover. You've probably seen right. the cover a million times where yes. the League is holding hands and you see the Justice Society floating above them. Like a big seance. That's what that crystal ball okay, is. Okay, that makes sense. That's now. why Brainiac is so desperate to use it. It allows him to break through the walls of the multiverse. Now, I'm saying all this great stuff because I understand a lot of what's going on with Legion so I can appreciate what's going on. Um, that's also going to be a problem when we get into our next topic, but just so everyone knows. <laughs> uh, it's really spooky and interesting to see that the Green Lantern ring is flying through space. It's saying, fatal error encountered, unable to locate anybody worthy, and it flies to oh, it flies toward the battery, and some mysterious hand grabs it and throws it into a pile of Green Lantern rings. 
And I know exactly who that was the second. Did you know who it was the second you saw who that was? Absolutely knew who that was. There was no question of who that was. You know, because I'm just that awesome. Brainiac and Misa and who is that? Phantom Girl. Phantom Girl. They all begin their seance and they open up the portal and kaboom kablow. If we had a two-page spread of the League Legion of Supervillains, we get a two-page spread of Legion upon Legion upon Legion. Legion cubed. And not on only, look how great this is. You get your favorite character, Block, has right. one of the best lines early on in, in the issue. One of my favorite characters gets this, uh, gets a, a great line with, uh, with Excess. She goes, what's wrong, Gates? I don't know, Excess. I can feel some kind of energy surge attempting, uh, amplifying my teleportation ability and then attempting to trigger it. And then, kaboom! And there you see, you see, there in the center of the page are... Brainiac, Phantom Girl, and Misa. On the left panel, you see the current Legion. On the right page, you see uh, my Legion, the Archie Legion. Mm-hmm. And it is an awesome who's who of going through and saying, oh, look, there's that character. There's that character. Oh, look who's there. Who's that guy? Who's that girl? It's just awesome. It's a little geeky mo- moment for me. And notice that no matter what universe or what year it is, Shadow Lass is always half buck naked. <laughs> And I appreciate that greatly. Yeah, you know, I actually, I don't know which one I like better. Do you have one that you like more than the other? Well, you know, the, the Archie Legion, she's pretty much all in just a white unitard. The, oh, no, no, no. Arch- oh, light, oh, I see which one you're talking Shadow about. Shadow Lass. Lass. Oh, the blue girl. That's right. Yeah. I was thinking the, of Phantom the Girl. The Archie Legion Shadow Lass is pretty stripperific. Yeah. But um, I really like the costume worn by the original Shadow Lass. If you look at the Hero History shot where it's literally a bikini, thigh boots, and yeah, some really yeah. cool armbands. That's it's an awesome. awesome suit. And then, of course, uh, Superman and Superboy Prime mm-hmm. get to have their own SmackDown. Things are not looking good. I love there's a great interaction between all of the Brainiacs arguing amongst each other of, who says you're the smartest? I'm a Brainiac. I'm Brainiac. No, I'm the smartest. Maybe (laughs) you should shut up. No, maybe you should shut up. Why don't you get a haircut? I'm very busy. I love that moment. (laughs) And then uh, Shadow Lass and Mon-El. Is that Mon-El? Who is that? That's Mon, yeah. Yeah, they arrive at Oa, and they see all the green lantern rings, and they're wondering what's going on. Until kaboom, kabam, you hit the last page, and you see this Green Lantern who's out there, Sodom Yat, <laughs> the greatest Green Lantern of them all, who we've seen appear yep. in the current run of Green Lantern after the Sinestro Corps War, yep. and the Guardian saying, hey, he is going to be the greatest Green Lantern. We need to watch out for this guy. Right. And he himself is a Daxamite, just as Monel is. Ah, okay, So he's good, but uh, does his ring protect him from lead? It must. Well, it does in current issues of Green Lantern Corps. Okay. So why is he alive 10 million years later? He's a Daxamite, just like Monel is. So he should have been on our top 10 immortal list? Well, first of all, it's a thousand years later, but thanks for playing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but second of all, I think one of the things that you'll see about Kryptonian and Daxamite characters is, as we were discussing earlier with Superman, they have a regular childhood and then a really prolonged adulthood. Right. And then a pretty much a normal senility. So it's kind of like the the the, the ultimate kind of immortality where you have the best years of your life are right. spent. Your young and vital period lasts like six, seven hundred years. Right. But as soon as as soon as I saw the hand on Oa, I'm like, hey, it's Sodom Yat. How did you know that? 
Well, I, uh, I looked he, at it from But two he's things. not a Legion, and he's not uh, appear in any Legion title, right? He never has. He's actually only appeared in two places. He appeared in the Alan Moore stories that were done as backups in Tales of the Green Lantern Corps back in the 80s. Right. And then in recent months, he appeared in uh, the Green Lantern Corps. Actually, the last couple of years, he's been appearing in Green Lantern Corps. So is he going to be a huge player, not only in Legion of Three Worlds, but Final Crisis and perhaps uh, The Darkest Night or Blackest Night? What's See, I think Sodom the, Yacht uh, is the reason that this is actually a Final Crisis crossover. Okay. What's it, whatever is going on on Oa with him is what makes this Final Crisis. Okay. But I got to tell you, there comes a point, even even for me in this issue, where there's like 60-odd Legionnaires standing in a room. Yes. Looking at each over. other, looking at, looking at Brainiac 5, and I'm just kind of like, wow, I bet you every kid who picked this up on a lark just put it right back now. <laughs> well, that's the next question then. Is this great storytelling or is this geek masturbatory excitement? There's an element of fan service to this, and not just fan service in the whole Saturn girl in her underwear frame <laughs> kind of fan service, but this is really a book for Legion fans. Right. Because if you look at it, you know, we're looking at one, two, three, four, five, seven, there's, there's like 50 characters on the two-page spread mm-hmm. of the, the two Legions. Right. And you have to realize that there's another, you know, dozen and a half Legionnaires in the fight against the, the uh, Legion of su- Supervillains. There's about probably 10 or 12 legionnaires from the original team still unaccounted for right but I, if you look at the if you look closely and the thing that i think is probably going to be the most confusing if you look at the two page spread is there are very clearly two ultra boys who look virtually identical right and i that's why i was jumping back and forth at first glance i was like okay which saturn girl is my saturn girl and right. which one is my is my dream girl and which one is my you know whatever and then so as soon as you trigger on excess or pharaoh lad or monel yeah yeah then you realize okay now i know which legion we're talking about and you can look at it and you can go okay well it it was pretty obvious to me that the legions were split down the center of the page right right but it was still one of those original art i would love to have this original art wouldn't that be awesome that this is probably like a 15 $2,500 $2,500 spread right here. Oh, I'm sure if he sells it at all. He might. But I'll look, have to look. If you look at the lineup of the legions that we're seeing, your Archie Legion is basically from the point right after they disappeared in the Teen Titans, Teen Titans Legion special in 2004. Right. Which which means Monstrous is dead. Right. So is Lightning Lad. He's yeah. uh, flown into the sun or something. No, that well, was Pharaoh Lad. This would be the point where you see the crystal and element lad. Yeah. That's actually Element Lad's body. Well, if it's if it's what I think it is, it's Element Lad's body with Lightning Lad's mind. Oh. Something we'll get to during the hero history of oh, Lightning Lad coming man. whenever I have a chance to sit down and write. Man. So so how do we rate this issue? I'm just am like tickled pink. You know, this is one that I waited until last night to read. It's been out for a couple of weeks. Yeah. But man, I'm just I this is so great. And and you're right, uh, Jeff Johns. Uh, did write the Lightning Saga mm-hmm. uh, previously, and right. uh, you know he's written some other great stuff. He wrote but, the Green Lantern stories that brought Sodom Yacht back to prominence. What? What? How are you rating this issue? Uh, we did Meatloaf ratings before. Maybe this we can give it Flight Ring ratings. Legion well, I Ring believe, ratings. if I'm not mistaken, I actually did a review oh, did you of read it this for already. The oh, okay. 
But even so, I mean, going not back that I'm not over ignoring all the stuff that you're doing on the site, but I, I couldn't remember if you read it that or not. Way. Sorry, sorry, so sorry. If you think that Stephen is not reading anything that I read, <laughs> I want you to go ahead and send a letter to podcast at majorspoilers.com and say, Steve, you suck. I, I try to pay attention to everything that's going on, but there's so much happening at the majorspoilers.com website on we a daily basis that sometimes it's hard to miss some stuff. Well, I understand. That's why you know, we have these great things at the top called menu items, and so you can jump right to the hero history and see every hero history that's there, or every review that's there. What, how many Legion flight rings are you given this thing? I believe when I did initially review it, I put it down as four. Yeah. Excuse me, I put it as three and a half Legion flight rings. I, I think I would probably, upon rereading, actually up that a little bit. I would probably go with four simply because of... There are some really great character moments here. And if right. you're a fan of the Archie Legion, there's a moment for you. And if you're yes. a fan of the original, you know, the, the, the first Legion, there's a, there's a moment for you. If you're a fan of the three-boot Legion, your whole team is there, and there's the, the promise of moments to come. So just based on, you know, Brainiac arguing with Brainiac, arguing with that Brainiac. That's the classic moment right there. Where the three-booted Brainiac is like, what's your problem, Grandpa? Yeah, and are you Brainiac joking, Grandpa? I'll only be Brainiac listening to you when you're like, answering you my... Should, yeah. <laughs> you should be more respectful. You obviously have no experience with time travel. Yeah. I'm just like the Jughead yeah. uh, Brainiac 5, as we like to refer to it. I'm going to give this also four Legion flight rings because it's got all the great geek moments. It's got a great story that's being told. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't get the five flight rings because you really have to know some of your Legion history in order to appreciate what's going on. Otherwise, you're going, what the F? I mean, three different Legions? What's going on here? This doesn't make any sense. Who are these young Archie-looking characters that, that look really good in their spandex tights? You know, so that, that would be the only drawback for anybody who's not familiar with Legion. Or Legion well, of I, Superheroes or Legionnaires to- or all that other stuff. You have to ask yourself how many non-Legion fans would pick up a book called Legion of Three Worlds. Uh, it's got Final Crisis on it, so everyone who wants to uh, buy into Final Crisis, ooh, me, 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 gimme, 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 gimme. Because that is the belief that I think many of the publishers are going forward, just like with this silly secret invasion over at Marvel, which, you know, honestly, I stopped reading. Secret. I stopped reading the secret invasion stuff. Well, apparently... There's a review you know, up on the Major Spoilers website that I do know well, is there. There is that, yes. But there's apparently, there's an invasion. Yes, and it's secret. Only it's secret. And there's these scrolls who are going to lose. everything Marvel is putting out, everything, has secret invasion on it. Because they know people are going to say, oh, this is a tie-in issue. I better get it. I better get it. I better get it. And that's what DC's doing with, with all these Final Crisis trades like Rage of the Red Lanterns. Well, and the question of... Ask yourself this. Last summer it was Planet Hulk. Did Planet Hulk actually happen for the Marvel Universe? I, at this I point? have no idea. I don't, I don't know read, either. I don't read Marvel that much. Let's go back to summer before that. Where, did Civil War happen? Did uh, the murder of Captain yes, America? Yes, actually that one did. That actually did happen because it played out over every single issue in the Marvel Universe. Every summer. Somebody actually said that in some crossover title. Seems like every summer some big mess happens. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it does. And, you know, there's a point where I only have so much money. Right. But I would I would buy this book even if I weren't buying Final Crisis, simply would, because this is interesting. I would have to go back and look at last month's, I think it was last month, either August or September when the first issue came out. Has this been monthly or is it bi-monthly on this one? It's been monthly. I'll have to go back and see how well it's sold because I have a feeling that it's, 
it probably isn't going to sell as well as what DC might hope. And rightfully so. I mean, they're canceling the Legion three-boot series, the WKRP series, uh, after issue 50. See, and I don't think that that's as indicative of a problem with the Legion as you think it is. I think that they're canceling the Legion because somebody at DC, be it Jeff Johns, be it Dan DiDio, be it somebody there has a great plan to revitalize and revamp the Legion. Grant Morrison has a plan for the DC Universe. Okay, speaking of uh, Grant Morrison, (laughs) Um, Matthew and I have kind of gone back and forth, and readers have gone back and forth with us, against us, up on the Major Spoilers website. Um, I refuse to... I I think I wrote one or two reviews about over Morrison's writing on Batman. Mm -hmm. And the first time I wrote a review, I called it... The title of it was... Get Morrison off Batman now. <laughs> and after I wrote it and posted it, I, about an hour later, I was like, you know what? I'm probably being really harsh on the guy. And I went back and changed the title. And someone caught it right away. And they're like, what's going on? Did DC contact you about this? Why did you change the change the title? And I was like, well, you know, I probably am a little harsh on, on Grant Morrison. But Batman is one of my favorite characters. And to see what he's been doing in the title, which doesn't, to me, make a lot of sense, uh, kind of enrages me. And so I have not reviewed any Batman uh, really past the first or second issue of, of Morrison's run. On the other hand, Matthew really likes Morrison's Batman. Mm-hmm. I love Frank Miller's All-Star Batman and Robin, which 99.9% of the rest of the world despises. And Matthew's <laughs> one of those people, too. I am indeed. So what we're going to do for the uh, remaining oh, 20 minutes or so of the show is we're going to kind of do a little back-and-forth debate on why we like or dislike um, each other's Batman runs. I'm going to talk about why I think Frank Miller's Batman, All-Star Batman, is great. Matthew's going to talk about why Morrison's run is great. We're going to talk about why we don't like the others back and forth. And in an attempt to try to convince one another that, uh, that their view is right. Does that make sense? I'm with you. Okay, so let, who, who wants to start, Matthew? Uh, rock, paper, scissors. Uh, how about flip the coin? How about you go? All right. I call heads. <laughs> it's heads. All right. okay. okay, so why does Frank Miller's All-Star Batman and Robin rock? Well, first of all, Frank Miller has said that All-Star Batman and Robin is inside the Dark Knight Returns universe. It is part of this story. So if you look at what the Dark Knight Returns is doing, uh, it's about this guy who's been mellowed out for several years until he finally can't take it anymore and he comes back and he's the Dark Knight and he's trying to relive his greatest moments. Well, his greatest moments are happening in the pages of All-Star Batman and Robin. Matthew, I don't I, I don't mean this to be mean or anything, but did you do any athletics in, in high school or grade school or any middle school or anything like that? I took pool in college. Okay. Did you, uh, did you get beat up by the jocks or anything? No, but on. you're a pretty. I mean, you're a pretty tall guy. Like, aren't you like yeah, six two or something? I was like at that? the point where I would have been if they didn't know that I couldn't not fight. <laughs> well, all the jocks in my school, and I was a jock too. I mean, I ran cross country, did basketball, I did all this crazy stuff, track, um, and even just a few years ago, after high school, I put on a lot of weight. And about five or six years ago, I went on this crazy exercise kick, where I gave up all meat, gave up all sugars. Uh, went strictly vegetarian, exercised 
the bejesus out of myself. I was swimming, you know, a mile, mile and a half every day. I was going out running. I was biking 25 miles a day. Uh, it was insane. And I got to this point in my head mentally that I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, nobody can beat me. Ah, look how great I am. Ah, you know, pumping it up, flexing in the mirror, going out looking to not pick fights, but don't mess with me because I can kick your ass. I dropped 80 pounds in eight months. And so I had this testosterone-filled ego going on to where I was the cock of the block, you know, and it felt really, really good. And I see athletes kind of the same way, really pumped up, especially those that are in their early 20s, that are playing college football, that are doing college athletics, that are the same way. They're cocky. They're looking good. They're ripped with all their muscles. Uh, they can get any girl they want. They could take down anybody they want. And so they're pumped and they're, ah, and that's exactly what Frank Miller is doing in the pages of All-Star Batman and Robin. And so when the series starts out, he is this aggressive, I'm not going to take anybody telling me what to do, I'm doing my own thing kind of attitude. And then as the series progresses, a lot of people have a problem with what he's done with Robin. Um, you know, he's trying to fight off the, the Justice League or the formation of the Justice League, Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Plastic Man. He's trying to put them down. Uh, there's this great fight between Batman, Robin, and Green Lantern where they paint everything yellow so that Green Lantern can't do anything. And, you know, Batman's trying to tra train his young protege, and it goes terribly wrong to the point where he collapses Hal Jordan's trachea to the point where Batman's like, what the hell are you doing, you little brat, and shoves him aside and gives him a, a tracheotomy really quick, saves his life. And it's in issue 10, the most recent issue, where you suddenly see Batman going from cock on the block, having sex with Black Canary on the docks of, of Gotham's uh, uh, wharf, uh, beating up everybody, breaking arms, making women essentially melt, throw their panties at him as he's leaving, that kind of stuff. There's this great line in issue 10 where he's saying, what am I doing with this child? Look what he did to that man, that great hero. What have I done? And it's just one little panel where you see Batman reflecting for a moment, and you suddenly realize, hey, this guy has gone from the cock of the block to this really tough guy, too. Hey, wait a minute, maybe I really do have repercussions for all my actions. And so I'm starting to see lately this kind of turn to maybe a more gentler, not the goddamn Batman, but maybe the gosh darn Batman who's still going <laughs> to kick your ass. But right now he's staking out his territory and he is he's making people scared of him. And just reading this 10-issue arc, even though it's had a terrible release time, I really love what Frank Miller's doing, especially when I know that in the future he turns into The Dark Knight Returns. And when you read the dialogue, especially the stuff most recently with Commissioner Gordon, you read his dialogue in All-Star Batman and Robin and then read Commissioner Gordon's dialogue in Dark Knight Returns, same exact character. And that's what I think is brilliant about what Frank Miller is doing with Batman. Okay. You're not <laughs> impressed with that, Matthew? I can see it, and I can see why you're uh, you're you know attracted to it, and why it makes for an interesting story. But allow me to retort. Okay, please do. The first, let's say, eight issues—the ones that I'm most familiar with of All Star Batman. Right. I walked away from them recognizing three things as really, really bugging me. Okay. 
First of all, there's, and I know this is a loaded word, but there's an almost fascist element to Batman going out and I'm going to break arms and love it and this is my city and right. I'm going to stick you in a cave and now you can eat a rat so that you'll right. be as tough as tough as me. Right. And there's, I mean, there's a very overt sort of I'm going to be the biggest swinging dick around that really, really turns me off. Because, again, it's, to is me, Batman is more interesting. You're... you're you don't like Batman's ego? Is that what it is? To some degree, yeah. I mean, Batman, to me, is more interesting as a detective than he is as the, the toughest mofo in Gotham City. But right. I can see where that would, that would work for you. There's an overt sexism in it, in the treatment of Wonder Woman and the treatment of Black Canary. A right. limited degree of that in the treatment of Batgirl. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, there was always a little bit of sexism in Batman comics anyway. It just feels like a very... Let, you know, it, it feels like one of those. Let's take this to its logical, ridiculous extreme of what it would re- what it would really be like if we had a guy who did this, and what he'd have to do, and what he'd have to feel like, and the kind of personality that you'd get if you were if you were buff dude who walked around Gotham City and punched other people in alleyways for fun. <laughs> but it's not it's not necessarily appealing to me, the reader, and it's not. I'm gonna I'm gonna miss point later. It's not good comics to me even though part of it is a good batman story and especially you know the part that that i did not realize was that slow change of robin is lightening him up and he's starting to realize what he's doing and he's right. coming down from that adrenaline high and, and he even about it. he even kind of makes a reference in this last issue what kind of mess have i created and we see this shot of black canary who's beat up a bunch of i think porn guys and is burning down their place he's created a bunch of messes and now he's going to have to deal with that so you know i personally i think he's miller is writing batman to this realization of my actions have consequences and i'm going to have to deal with everything that i do well and i mean if that's the point and granted we are looking at an unfinished series right so we're kind of you know extrapolating from where we are we're at that that chapter four of six for the trade paperback or wherever we might be and you know this is a difficult point in any story this is the point where in my reviews i always kind of feel like i'm turning into a whiner going why can't it be over yet i want a pop tart (laughs) so i can definitely see your point there but i mean the the main the central character is not a character that i want to read more about he's not somebody that i want to see change simply because of the huge jackass he was in the first four issues. Right. So you're so, not a big fan of the goddamn Batman. Not really. I've never been a big fan of the goddamn anything, really. Okay. Um, but, you know, I, I can see the change. But then how much of the people who really love this series, if he does kind of mitigate back down to the gosh darn Batman and kind of turn it around and become a better role model... How many of those people are going to go, well, that's not what I signed on to read. You suck. We want well, the goddamn Batman too. back. That's true, too. Okay, tell yeah. me why I should be loving Morrison's Batman. Here's the thing. Batman has been around for 71 years. Yes. An average of 12 to sometimes upwards of 30 stories per year. Many of them really sucked. Many of them were ridiculous and dumb and far-fetched and unbelievable. You're talking about the Silver Age. I'm talking about the Golden Age. I'm talking okay. about Batman traveling through time. I'm talking about the Rainbow Batman. I'm talking about um, Robin 
Dead, Dead by Dawn on an alien planet. I'm right. talking about the battle with the Eraser, who has the ability to erase people from comics. Which really, when you think about it, is the ultimate metatextual superpowered statement. We're all just lines on paper, so I'm going to erase you. Mm-hmm. All, of these, all of these moments, all of these issues, every single one of them is somebody's favorite comic book. Right. And Grant, Grant Morrison is not ignoring stories like the Batman of Planet X or the Batman of Many Nations or the Rainbow Batman. He is taking it from the point of view that all of these stories, quote, unquote, I'm air quoting... <laughs> all of these stories Just, Rodrigo's happen. not here I'm trying to channel him yeah I know hello Rodrigo <laughs> um. no but see that's the okay I'm going to interrupt you right here you're there saying you Grant Morrison has such a love for comics that he wants to bring all of this into a story but at the not same exactly. time he has told people continuity doesn't matter continuity is different than consistency continuity is the slavish thought of well three years ago when batman and robin were in the contagion storyline robin nearly died but he never had any negative effects in his own book which took place simultaneously right that's continuity but saying batman is bruce wayne and he is bruce wayne who does this because his parents were killed in an alleyway and he's never been quite right and he's taken in these young men who've had tragedies in their life to try and help them to get through it and make them into better people so that nobody else has to go through what he's going through. That's consistency of character, and that's something that Morrison has in spades. I'm just saying that Morrison doesn't take... Well, here's the thing. If you look at Asbar, All-Star Batman and Robin, right. it's, it's all badass, hell yeah, moments that a 14-year-old boy would stick his fist up in the air and go, Woo! Woo! Yeah! Throw the horn. Give me more of that Miller more Batman! Now, the Batman of Zorinar, where Batman goes to an alien planet and meets this Batman who wears a red and yellow and purple cape, who has the bat radio, which allows him to control the molecules in the air, that is not a story that a 14-year-old boy in 2008 is going to throw the horns and say, Woohoo! That was cool! Morrison is trying to take even those most ridiculous elements of Batman and say, Okay, these happened. These are part of our love of the character. These are part of the character... Let's not try and sweep them under the rug because they're not badass. Let's try and make them into something that is still interesting and okay. still relevant. Okay. This is the problem I have with that. M- M- uh, Miller takes Batman and gives him a super ego. That's Miller. Morrison, right. Morrison takes Batman and uses Morrison's super ego to tell everybody how brilliant he is. Right. Or that's my that's my feeling of it. I mean, if you look in, in the first issue that that uh, Morrison wrote, and I, and I took the time to try to be a little bit more informed about Morrison and his Batman run by sitting down and reading everything back to back. No breaks, no monthly breaks or two-month breaks or story arc breaks, anything like that. I sat down and read the core of what Morrison is doing in Batman. And he says in the first issue, there's a shot after uh, Jim Gordon has been uh, gassed with the Joker gas that he's trying to recuperate in the hospital. And he looks right at the audience, breaking that fourth wall. And he says, uh, what does he say? Everybody needs to lighten up. And that is Morrison writing through Gordon, trying to tell the audience, hey, listen, man, this doesn't, this is no big deal. Just lighten up and just go with the flow. See, I think that's, that's you reading into it. it because when, be. I read, when I read All-Star Batman and Robin, you know what I get? 
I'm Frank Miller, and I'm so macho right. that I spit nails. Right. I mean, I can every, see that. Everything that I write has but to be filled Frank, with guys who are so tough that you could cut their arms off, and they'll just stare at you. Frank Miller it, doesn't try to wrap everything up in metatext, which is what Morrison does, to the point where it's very, I think, very confusing to the reader. Because they have to read into, well, what's Morrison really trying to say with this red and black theme? That you have to, where is this red and black coming through? Why is it coming again and again and again? Why did it happen in uh, this special issue where Batman is is visiting the Joker in the cell and the aces and eights? You had to find that issue. And then you had to go through. And you know what? You actually had to read that awful, well, I wouldn't say it's awful. Um, what is it? Issue... 663, where it's all a novella, a little uh, pulp pulp novel, where the right. first time the uh, Joker Red and Black Flowers comes up and the issue, the idea of Red and Black comes up. You actually have to read that in order to um, get the meaning down the road, which is fine. Unfortunately, everybody picked up that issue and said, this is not a comic book and probably put it back and didn't read it. It's the same problem that people are having with Final Crisis because everything that Morrison's doing in Final Crisis, he did in Seven Soldiers of Victory, which nobody read Seven Soldiers of Victory because it was like, this is not my Mr. Miracle. This is not my Zatanna. This is not my whatever. And so they put it down. And so people are like, I'm lost. I'm confused. And you're trying to tell me these things and you're trying to tell me things in a subtle way or through metatext or through whatever that you're trying to do. And I just don't want to deal with it. So your main complaint about Morrison's Yes, run, is that I'm a retard. Is down. that I'm a retard. No, I am a retard because I cannot understand what he's what trying you, to say. But what you've just said to me is that your main problem with Morrison's run is that you have to read all of it to understand it and, and that it's very And that's subtle. what I said ten minutes ago when I was foreshadowing our current discussion. The only reason the that you're going to love Legion of Three Worlds is <laughs> if you understand everything about the Legion, or most of everything about the Legion. The only way you're going to understand Grant Morrison's Batman is if you've read every single minutia of arcane Batman knowledge that's out there, and you have to read through all of, you have to read between the lines to see what Morrison's getting at. It's the same thing. I know, I understand. And I've been a Batman fan for over, what, almost 25 years now. And I've read every issue, but, you know, he's referencing stuff from the, the Silly Silver Age and the Goofy Golden Age, and that is stuff that most readers have not read. In fact, let me find this quote from Julian. Uh, ba -ba 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 -ba. Uh, my main complaint with Morrison's run is that it's so inaccessible. Your DC history really needs to go really far back, which is fine for the people who are into Jack Kirby-era stuff, but for people who want to get into this storyline after seeing the Dark Knight movie or expecting to know all they need to know about Batman after reading the most discussed volumes. Not that that's exactly a bad thing, per se. People who are into the oldies are definitely going to appreciate the throwbacks and the references. As for the rest of us, we'll be left scratching our heads, wondering what the heck's going on. See, and this is ironic to me, because the first Batman stories that I really enjoyed, probably in modern times, because I, I stopped caring about Batman around 1990 <laughs> or so. About there were some Batman that stories. The, that you there killed some Batman off Robin. stories that I really liked. Well, yeah. Well, it was actually probably right about the time, maybe a year before Night Quest, when everything came down to, oh, if, right, he has right. enough, if he has enough time to prepare, he can fight anything. Right, right. Well, the, the Batman who I really liked was Grant Morrison in JLA, where he took Batman and made him a character who could stand on his own next to Wonder Woman, next to Superman, right. and literally said, if he's prepared, he can fight anything. Mm -hmm. 
And I that was what the, the tower was that the Tower of Babel line Babel. It was the whole thing. The beginning yeah. of that JLA arc from like issue one to about issue I think twenty five or thirty was all Morrison. Okay. It was the the arc with the White Martians. It was the point where. Uh, there was a really great moment where Superman is flying, Batman is in his bat plane, and they're having a discussion about something as they fly to fight Martians. Mm-hmm. That's completely unrelated. It's about the two of them. Right. And Batman does that thing. And Morrison's Batman has this wonderful bit in Rock of Ages. We find out that Batman has spent 15 years on Apocalypse pretending to be Desaad, the torturer. And he's, he's standing there, and uh, somebody says to him, how did you even do that? And he's like, Dark Side is tough. <laughs> but I survived. And he does that <clears throat> that little Batman laugh that right. is so disturbing. I right. love that subtlety of the character to where so much of Morrison's Batman is that 90% of the iceberg that's below the water. Well, but that's the and, other but that is kind of the thing though. You have to be kind of aware of what Morrison is trying to tell you in order to catch it. For example, the very first issue of Morrison's run 655 is where mm-hmm. we see the first reference to Zur and Ah. Right. And if you don't know what the heck that is, it just looks like graffiti on the wall. And then it's right. not until Batman gets shot in the chest and has a heart attack that you finally go, oh, wait a minute, what is this Zur and Ah that he's talking about? And why all of a sudden is Batmite showing up? And then your head really I, goes for a trip. When I was seven, Saturday morning, so I used to have something called Batman, Tarzan, and the Super Seven. Right. And they played those crappy 70s Batman cartoons with Batmite all over the place. So seeing Batmite, even Batmite as a hallucination of a crazed Batman as part of, you know, part of a a Lazarus block that he built into his mind in case he was ever, you know, damaged like this. To me, that's that's Batman being able to fight anything as long as he's prepared for it in a good way. Right. And And it's throwing in the the Batman of Zorinar, something that, yes, if you know... If you know Batman 131 from 1958 was the Batman of Zorinar, and he came to Earth to find our Batman, who then went to his planet and had, and had Batman-like powers. If you know that, yes, you can kind of go, ah, he's talking about that. If you don't know it, I feel like the character arc still works. It's Batman stripped to his essentials. He's lost all of his weapons. He's lost all of his, his resources. And he's forced to actually create right. new resources out right. of whole cloth, out of, out of just his mind and his will. And to me, that is really indicative of what makes him more than just Frank Miller's thug breaking arms and teaching a kid to eat rats in a cave. True. And there's that subtlety there, there where... This is the this is another thing. Frank Miller's Batman is all id. It's all I want yes. to punch that guy. I'm now going to punch that guy. I want to bang Black Canary. I am now going to bang Black Canary. I am banging There's, Black Canary. I have banged exactly. Black Canary. I will bang Black Canary again. I will have banged. Why she tastes like the cigars? Right, and that's I mean that's the moment where I look at it and go, okay, this is a this is a point A to point B to point C Batman, and yes. There's some pyrotechnics. It's it's a Tony Scott film. Mm-hmm. There's there's some big explosions and there's some moments and Keanu Reeves is ducking cars on the interstate Whoa. next to some guy who may or may not be Jet Li. I don't Whoa. know. It's a big summer blockbuster movie. It is. And that's but why I like not, it. It is. It's a popcorn comic book. It's not what I want to read when I read about Batman. And if I sit down and read about Batman, I want something that goes, hey, this is Batman. He's more complex than... Batman without the complexity of the detective work? Batman is not... This is not a complex Batman. Well, I mean, to a a degree it is, but it's more of this is a complex Grant Morrison 
who's telling a complex Batman story. See, and you I can think Grant Morrison has done too many drugs, to be honest you with you. You cannot separate Grant Morrison from his work, from his work, from his work, from his work, work. Every issue of All Star Batman, 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 as well, issue of Oh, Wait a minute, we're getting a little crazy there, Matthew. Hold on just a second. Let's let the interwebs calm down for just a moment. For you, you can't you can't separate Grant Morrison, the writer, from Grant Morrison's work on Batman. I can't separate Frank Miller from All-Star Batman and Robin to the point where I look at it and I don't go, well, there's that weird Batman comic. I go, there's that Batman comic that reminds me of Sin City, which True. I don't care for. Right. It's, it's referential. I mean, when I think of Grant Morrison, I think of his run on Animal Man, which was absolutely brilliant. I got that first trade in it, today. Now, this is the one that you told me I must read. This is not the first yeah. trade as I flip through it. It's not the one where Grant Morrison appears as himself in the comic yet. So I was a little disappointed I, in that. I believe that's volume two. Okay, so I will have to get that after reading the first one. But the, you have convinced you me that, that I will love Grant Morrison after reading Animal Man. As I was going back through my collection last night, I stumbled across Seven Soldiers of Victory, Bulleteer, written by Grant Morrison, I believe. Mm-hmm. And that was, if, there was a, if, if there's something by Grant Morrison that I've really liked, I like the Bulleteer story. Right. So I'm not saying had, that I hate... Well, big old bulleteer boobies. I'm not saying that I hate Grant Morrison. I'm just saying I don't like, I think he, there's, and just like Frank Miller, there's probably something that he's best suited for. Frank Miller may not be suited to direct a spirit movie. Grant Morrison may not be the best person to write Batman, in my opinion. Now, I know you're different. And there's other people that share this. I mean, Hermit said, uh, I haven't read Morrison's run, but I plan to as soon as there's a trade. Miller's Batman, it sucks. It's childish, it's violent for no reason, and all-around boring. In this, Batman more lo- looks more like he abducted a kid and brainwashed him instead of taking him under his wing. And since when does he enjoy breaking arms and legs or, or, or uh, of thugs or even ribs? Picking on Green Lantern, letting Boy Wonder nearly beat him to death? Come on. I bought the hardcover, issues one through nine, and I promise you I won't be buying the following book. And, I I mean, that makes some of my point there. There's a difference in... Really, it's, it's not quite completely diametrically opposite, but there's a difference in approach to where Morrison is trying to deconstruct Batman on a mental level, yes. whereas Miller is trying to reconstruct Batman, starting from the basic building blocks of, here's a big tough guy who punches guys while wearing leotards. Now, I will admit, when I first started reading All-Star Batman and Robin Asbar, I hated it. It wasn't until about issue five or six where it really clicked me for me, and I said, I see what he's doing now, and now it's just being confirmed as we get into, you know, 10 more issues. The thing about All-Star Batman and Robin that sucks is, yes, it is over the top. It is goofy. It is breaking noses. He is, you know, just this machismo that's all over the place. Uh, the problem about All-Star Batman and Robin, I think it would have been a little bit more well-received had the book been released on time. Okay. I agree. The thing that I don't like about Batman and Morrison, which I think can be fixed, is you really need to read... All of the stuff that leads up to issue 680, the one that we're at now, you need to read it in one sitting. Because as I read through, and I did this today, I read through all the Batman-related issues. I skipped the Ra's al Ghul storyline, which really didn't fit into it. Obviously, grotesque storyline was not written by Morrison. Uh, But everything else I read through, cover to cover, one right after the other. I did it in a two- or three-hour block. And you know what? I will agree. There's some very good Grant Moore. There's some, no, I, not Grant Morrison. There's some very good storytelling going on. The whole um, uh, League of Batmen 
storyline where they're on the island, the 10 little Indians uh, yeah. storyline that he's ripping off. Great. I loved it. It was a great murder mystery on an island. Uh, but then you get into this trippy stuff where, yeah, there's stuff that's spelled out. Jezebel was this this uh, turncoat in the Bible. Yeah, Jezebel's going to be the turncoat in the Batman book. But there's this constant telling of the red and black, red and black, red and black. What does it mean? Well, you know, there's and unless you catch it early on and unless you pick up on this theme, you're going to be totally lost when the big reveal comes next issue of what's going on. The question is, and I'm going to ask you this. Matthew, what do you think the red and black is? Is it just something that the Joker is referencing through his cards and the black-red roses and the painting of the floor and Jezebel having the red hair and the black glove and all of this stuff? Or could it be this rumor that's floating around that Tim Drake, the guy who wears red and black, is the one behind Batman's demise? Well, I can tell you this. It would be a fascinating, very Morrison-esque take if his best friend, his adoptive son, were the one behind this ultimate betrayal. If you go back and you read everything from the beginning and you see Tim doing things, you can see he's feeling betrayed and he's being not trusted and he's, you can see that he could be somehow involved in all of this, even though it's, you know, he's making these escapes and doing all these other things in the story. You know, this black and red, could it be Robin? Well, what about this? Think about this. Uh, DC, this is over at Newsarama, and we've had it up on the Major Spoilers website. Uh, DC cancels the Batman supporting cast line. Robin, Nightwing, Birds of Prey, all in their series in February of 2009. Obviously, this has to do with Batman R.I.P., with the death of Batman, with the battle for the cape, with um, who knows what's going on with Nightwing. I mean, the last time we saw him, he was all doped up and maybe going to get a lobotomy. Robin, who knows what's going on with his title. Birds of Prey, I thought, was really good uh, and is going good, but I don't know why they cancel it. It's not. It doesn't have to do with sales. It has to do with what Grant Morrison is doing. And if you believe some of the rumors that Robin might somehow be behind R.I.P., I can understand why Chuck Dixon left in a huff last year. Check this out. Uh, Let's see, where is this? This is from... Okay, this is from Rich Johnson's Lying in the Gutter column over at Comic Book Resources with a little bit of spoilers. Uh, Two new Batman titles will return after February of 2009 called Batman and Robin, which may or may not have Mark Bagley as artist, and Red Robin. Also, the new Batman will be Dick Grayson, Robin would be Damian Wayne, and, and Red Robin, of course, would be Jason Todd. My guess is that the two titles will replace Robin and Nightwing, but I'm not sure why Birds of Prey is getting chopped. My guess is that's the only one of the three that actually has to do with sales. And that's from Preston up on the Major Spoilers comment board. Thank you, Preston, for putting that in and referencing that uh, Rich Johnson article. Nowhere does Preston mention Tim Drake. Why is Tim Drake suddenly out of the picture? Tim Drake, the character that Chuck Dixon... Well, maybe so. Wouldn't that be a little weird? But, you know, if it turns out that Robin is somehow behind this, which, you know, I'm, I don't lean towards. It's not part of my big conspiracy. But if it is that, can you imagine people going back and saying, what the hell is Morrison doing? Can you see my point on that, where people might just go all up in arms about this? I mean, people are up Absolutely. in arms already once the Ninja Man Bat showed up. I liked the Ninja Man Bats. Actually, I didn't after, like Damien, but I liked the Ninja yeah, Man after Bats. After rereading that one issue where they're having the fight in the pop art gallery... 
that's actually very funny. See, and that's, I mean, that's another trademark of Morrison, is he has that weird black humor, and then you'll look at it, and there'll be moments where you're just like, my God, this is just so stupid, you have to laugh. And I think, I don't know, I think there's there's a problem that I have with All-Star Batman and Robin, is that it's a sledgehammer Batman. Yes. And Morrison's is a scalpel Batman. And if you're not looking for a scalpel Batman, you're not going to enjoy Batman Rest in Pieces or (laughs) R.I.P. But if you're not looking for a sledgehammer Batman, then All-Star Batman and Robin is probably not going to be your speed. I mean, I've never really cared for that that sledgehammer character. Batman, Batman without the subtlety, without the detective portion of it, without... You know, Batman without the the Dark Avenger portion of it is basically Daredevil. And I never really liked Daredevil. He's, you know, just some schmuck who punches people. Oracle B.O.P. This is Oracle Birds of Prey. Miller brings us the goddamn Batman that is new and different. You don't know what he's going to do next, and that's what makes it an exciting read. When Robin came into his life, he's slowly becoming a softer and sort of kinder person. I can't wait for the next issue. Miller Time says, Miller's approach to Batman and Robin has been interesting because of the slight shift in perspective he uses. What impresses me is the slight, uh, go to the next page, shift created uh, creates an immense difference in storytelling. Uh, And then some more people supporting Miller, which is weird because everybody hates Miller, I thought. I don't think it's a hate issue. I don't think it's personal necessarily. You said you like detective stories, and I love detective stories too, which is why we didn't even throw it into the fight. But Brother 129 threw out what was going to be my closing argument. How come I can't choose Paul Denny's Batman and Detective Comics? That's the most consistently interesting and easy to read Batman over the past couple of years. I'm a big taker of that. I, I will latch onto that. I love the done in ones. I love the actual detective work going on. It's something that you can flip back a few pages after the reveal's been done and actually see it play out. Thoughts on Paul Dennis Batman? Well, I'd say that you know if you if if someone gives you a choice between Miller and Morrison and you pick Denny, the only <laughs> answer is how about shut up. No. Never mind. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not really saying that. Please, please don't stop listening. We love you. Um, I actually think that Paul Dini's Batman is good. Yeah, and it's one of those things where reading, you know, reading Dini's book and then reading Morrison's book, I have no idea what what the what the time frame on exactly. this is. Exactly, and that's but it why can't all of these simultaneous. That's why all these crazy R.I.P. tie-in stuff doesn't make any sense. Same thing in Batman. There's one reference in, or I'm sorry, Robin. It's got this R.I.P. tie-in on the issue, and the only reference to maybe something going on is uh, Tim Drake sw- swinging through the city going, I wonder why I haven't seen, or Batman's not around lately. And it's like, okay, that's your tie-in? Whatever. Um, you know, I, I'm i going to have to tell people, if you want to try to understand what Morrison's doing, you have, you're going to have to read this in the trade, because if you're trying to follow it in the monthlies, that's where you're going to get totally lost. And in order for me to soften my view on Morrison, it took me reading... What, 20 issues today, 15 issues, something like that, to understand what was going on. Do you, do you think you've softened on Miller, or are you still anti-Miller all the way, anti-Aspar? What really softened me on Miller was his take on Barbara Gordon. Yeah. Where we have a female character who, to me, the first female character who exists as something more than a sex object or a foil. Yes. For Batman and Robin. And, and you know, he could have sex potted her up. 
if you're talking about Sin City. He could have. But, I mean, he, he tomboyed her instead. And taking that aspect and, and putting it there and having her, you know, having the teenage female character emulating pretty much the same aspects of the goddamn Batman actually kind of put a new face on it for me. And, and I think it's something, you know, but what you had said about him mellowing a little bit and thinking about what he's done and the ramifications of what he's doing, I'm thinking that Batgirl is going to play into that. Yes. And I think that I'd like to see Batgirl actually stick around as something, you know, a force, a, a teenage kid who acts like a teenage kid. Yes. You know, the the goddamn Batman and the fucking Batgirl are, <laughs> are out there, and they're going to woo! Yeah. They're going to crack some skulls. So, I don't know if, if our arguments have swayed any of our listeners one way or the other, but at least you kind of see where Matthew and I come from. Usually we are... Matthew and I come from very different backgrounds, with very different perspectives on things, but we often find that we do have similar views when it comes to some comic book related things. Like uh, I might give something a four review or a three review or a two and a half review. And Matthew and I generally tend to agree on those ratings most of the time, not all the time. Uh, and Batman and, and, uh, and all-star Batman are two titles that some are something that we haven't been agreeing on. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with people having disagreements with we, each other. But the thing is, when you're in your local comic shop and you're going to have this discussion with somebody, the way to have it is a civil discussion and not, well, Matthew, you're a stinky poopy head, and that's why Brant Morrison sucks. Well, you're big and dumb, and, and, and Frank Miller is, is, is a big thing with a face on his, on his head and his elbow halfway up his arm, so well, neener, I, neener. Well, I did your sister, so there. That's well, not, so that's, did I, so that's not right. <laughs> you did your own sister? Oh, my God. Um, that Maybe is not, that's not a civil discussion. And hey, you can have... talk about my Uncle Dad. <laughs> you, can, you can have civil discussions with your fellow comic book fan and walk away not hating each other. And I think too, too often people go into a comic book store and they have heated discussions and it leads to fist fights or pulling a knife or chasing someone down the street and hitting them upside the head with a baseball bat. And that's, and that's not – I mean that's not a civil discussion. So I think you and I had a civil di- discussion, Matthew. Yeah. Now, if this is if this is anything like the last civil discussion we had, you'll be the uh, head of S.H.I.E.L.D. tomorrow and I'll be assassinated <laughs> by the Red Skull. So we got ah, that yes. going for us, which ah, is yes. nice. You know. So what are you saying? That I'm the uh, uber elite and you are the uh, underclass that gets trodden upon I'm, by the government? I'm, I'm the scrappy young underground heroes that everybody loves who used to wear tiaras and, and web pits. <laughs> and you're the, the big stinky guy in the armor who's going to get punched around by She-Hulk. But I'm a billionaire and have sex with all the hot women. Yes, well, Sharon Carter is pregnant with my child. Woohoo! All right, everybody, that's about all the time that we have for this week. Matthew, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of Major Spoilers, being a part of the Majorspoilers.com website. The site would not be what it is today without you. Even though Stephen never reads what I write. I read about, I would say, 85 to 90% of the stuff you read. Some days I'm just like, oh, Matthew put up a a 50-page article about this Legion member. I don't have time to read it. Maybe I'll get to it later, and then I don't. Oh. Dare you. But all of your reviews, I at least scan through and look at your star rating to say, eh, okay, I agree with you on that one. Or I don't agree on why you like Batman so much. And then I then I send you nasty emails throughout the week. But thank you, Matthew, again. We had a little rough patch this time last year, and we have come back, and we are stronger and better than we have been. And I Remember. think that all has to do with all of the listeners that are listening to the show, everybody who comes up to the Major Spoilers website and participates, 
and just the great group of people who go to the forums, go to the website, go to our MySpace page, go to our Twitter feed, all of that stuff. From the bottom of my heart, people, uh, I want to thank you for making uh, this one-year transition of some craziness that we had uh, a very special and important one. So thank you very much. Anything, Matthew, you would like to add? Just remember what does not kill us makes us stranger. That is true. And so, everybody, if you wouldn't mind, head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We like all the nice little ratings and comments people have been uh, doing for us. Become our friend over at MySpace. We finally got Matthew to be our friend last week. You can find us at MySpace.com slash Majorspoilers. You can also follow our Twitter feed at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers, all one word. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or if you'd even like to sponsor the show or the website... All you have to do is drop us an email at podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Now, next week, Rodrigo promises us he will be back. And so all three of us are going to sit down and dive into something that Rodrigo is particularly interested in, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. So we will be reviewing the first volume of that next week. Because we know Rodrigo loves comics, Matthew loves comics, Stephen loves Frank Miller's comics, and we know you do too. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye, I am Rodrigo. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel. I'm gonna rearrange your face if you continue to debate whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' shield. I just couldn't care if they bring back Craven. Monster drink. I'm so angry! Oh, I'm filled with rage! I paid nine dollars for a sweet soda drink in With blood and rage of crimson red, ripped from a corpse so freshly dead, together with our hellish hate, we'll burn you all! That is your fate!